giving our tithes and our offerings, I wonder, it just hit me, so it's maybe right, maybe wrong. There's someone here this morning who thought, who felt like the Lord was speaking to them during worship, and they felt like it was for the church, for the congregation, an encouragement for the church, and you said to yourself, if Randy gets up and says, does anyone have a word, I'll stand up. So I wonder if there's someone here who has that word. Okay. Want to meet me halfway? It only seems fair. Tell us, tell us who you are. Sure. I'm Sarah Carpenter. And during worship, I had this picture of, I don't know if any of you all ever did this as a kid, where you would grab your friend's feet and you guys would like roll down a hill. If you live to tell the tale, I'd love to hear from you. But I had this picture that Jesus was doing that with us. And when we say that he deserves the glory, he says, yeah, and guess what I do with that glory? I work it all out for your good. Um, so I had that picture and then a seat at the table that, um, it, no, sorry, again, with the, you deserve the glory and he is crowned, that he places his crown on us because we get to be co, co-heirs with Christ. We are ruled, no, we have authority to rule and reign alongside him. The third thing that he showed me um, was it was like a cooking challenge where he he was presented with these really gross ingredients, and they're like, "Do what you will with that." And he made this like beautiful delicacy that everybody would want a taste of, and he said, "That is what I do with the mess that you see yourself in when you surrender it to me, um, and that when you do that is for my glory and for your good." So. He works all things for his glory and for our good. We never have to be ashamed to surrender that to him. Whatever the mess is, whatever your ingredients are, it does not gross him out. We can surrender it for his glory, for our good. Will you, will you just kind of pray over Yes, us? I will. <laughs> so, Jesus, I bless us to receive that, God, any place where it has been hard. We're like, no, this is too shameful. This is too much. I have, I, I've screwed it up too much, Jesus. I I pray for that. That comes from a prideful place, Lord. Would you gently remove that pride? Bless us with the ability to be humble, Lord, and to surrender our junk to you, to surrender whatever impossible thing it is to you. Would you increase our faith to take you at your word, that you say you work all things for our good and for your glory? And would you give us your peace, God, to sit and allow you to do what you do? Thank you, Jesus. I bless us with your peace today. I bless us with your mind today, your thoughts today, for each other and for us. And we receive it, Lord, and I seal it in our spirits in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Man, I love it when God speaks. It's uh, every, every word that he speaks is life. Do you know that? When he releases his word, it's life. And so when we say yes to his word, when we take it in and begin to live it out, it's life. It's life in our bones, and I'm just thrilled by that. Okay, how's everybody doing in general? Okay, good. It's really nice to see you guys here. Just doing my little personal thing. Hi there. Um, you may not know, but you heard uh, this morning's uh, psalm already. Maybe you caught that. Kadisha gave it to us in uh, powerful emotional form. <laughs> you know, you can clap for Kadisha. Psalm 131 uh, is a song of ascent. It's one of those uh, psalms that was a song that was given, written and given by the Lord through the people to the people of God so that one, when they were on their way to Jerusalem to worship, they would have songs to sing like you sing songs in the car on your way to Disney World or whatever you do. 
as the people of God went to worship, they had songs that they would sing to bring encouragement to themselves. These songs of ascent were also songs that were available to the people of God when they ascended the steps of the temple. So as they were literally walking up the steps into worship, they had these uh, psalms, and many of them are short, this one particularly short, these songs that they could recite to set their hearts in the place for worship. And so Psalm 131 is one of those uh, psalm songs that's given to the people to prepare them to worship. And it's a beautiful psalm from, uh, from the heart, the life, and the writing of David. We don't know exactly what the situation in David's life was that prompted this psalm. We can guess at it, but we don't know for sure. And as we've talked about the psalms, we've talked about psalms in three categories. Psalms of orientation, of disorientation, God, what the heck are you doing? And psalms of reorientation, God, I, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to orient myself back towards you. And when I look at this Psalm 131, I, I see kind of both ends of this. I see the orientation, God, this is where I am, all is good. But I also see this as a psalm of reorientation. Like, God, when, I, when my soul gets itself in a tizzy, this is a song, a psalm of reorientation, because this is David speaking to his soul. Um, Charles Spurgeon was a great uh, uh, preacher of the 19th century. He said this about Psalm 131. It's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. So you heard it from Kadisha, but I'd like us to... Uh, um, to resound with it again. So if you would stand, and it'll be on the screen, we're going to announce, claim, proclaim, we won't sing this time, um, Psalm 131. Let's do it together, and let's do it with uh, boldness. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, I ask that you would use this psalm now. And as we look to it, take it in, study that uh, by the Holy Spirit, you would plant the truth of it into our hearts and that you would teach us through it. To, um, to speak to our souls with truth, that these souls might bring you worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Psalm 131, it reveals the inner posture of worship. It reveals the heart of worship. And so you might wonder, well, what does it mean to have a heart lifted up? Essentially, the heart lifted up is an Old Testament picture of pride. It's, it's the picture of the heart that says, oh, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I, I don't know if that's in the Hebrew exactly, but somewhere. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Is there any other reason you need to 
say no to pride and pursue, pursue humility than that. God opposes the proud. Basically, who wants to fight against God? <laughs> Haven't you already done that? Didn't you lose? <laughs> Don't you wish at the end of that you would have given up a lot sooner? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. First Peter 5, 5 to 6. Clothe yourselves all with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. You see, this is an, a purposeful act of the believer. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Proverbs eighteen twelve. bless you. There was a sneeze, wasn't there? Okay. I'm not just speaking out, you know. Okay, bless you all. Proverbs 18:12 Before a downfall the heart is haughty but humility comes before honor. So I I looked at this and I thought okay I'm not I'm not going to give a big message about pride and humility there's plenty in the scripture about that. But my question was um how can David say this? That that was a question that popped into my mind. How can David say honestly before God my heart is not lifted up? How can David say before the Lord, the Lord, who knows all things, who knows every heart, how can he say, basically, God, you know I'm not proud? That seems a little scary to me. And here's, here are my thoughts on that. I think David knows what a heart lifted up looks and feels like. I think you can read between the lines, and sometimes you don't have to go between the lines to see David with, with a, a heart that uh, has got a lot of himself in it. I think he knows what a heart lifted up looks and feels like. And for sure, David is aware of the the posture of his heart. David is not one of those guys who doesn't have a clear recognition of what's going on in his heart. David's the one wrote Psalm 139, search me and know me. See if there's any anxious way in me and lead me in in the way eternal. That's the heart of David saying, I know this thing can be twisted, but God, I want you to look at my heart. You and you alone look at my heart. And he was aware of what it looked like. For sure, because you can see it through the Psalms, Psalm 51, and so many others, David did the hard heart work of disassembling pride in his life. David did the hard heart work of dissembling pride in his own life. He, he consistently, you just think of, Uh, after his sin with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan comes to him and and many other times in the Psalms where David basically says to God, I'm busted. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing with me. I'm, I'm at a loss here. And he lays down pride over and over and over again. So a question for us this morning is, do we know the contents of our hearts? When's the last time you sat before the Lord Not in morbid introspection. We've done enough of that. When's the last time you sat before the Lord and just said, Lord, search my heart. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to try to come up with what you have. God, just take a look at my heart and tell me what the status is and lead me. Have you done the hard heart work of disassembling pride in your own life? My experience with pride, plenty of it, is that it's hard work. The, the enemy loves pride. In fact, it's his forte, right? The enemy, that, that's, what, that's what caused the fall of Satan was pride. I will be like God. 
And if we, if we think that we've got nothing to do with pride in our lives, we're fooling ourselves. But if we think that pride can never be disassembled in our lives, we're also lying to ourselves. Because God loves to bless the humble and those who are in search of humility. So David says in the psalm to the Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And then he says, my eyes are not raised too high. So you think, what's he talking about here? The eyes raised too high is the Old Testament picture of arrogance. If pride is a posture of the heart internally, then arrogance has everything to do with the way that we walk pride out in the realm of men and women, right? Arrogance, that, that the idea of the eyes raised too high, it just imagine an arrogant look on somebody's face. Just imagine it for a second. It's not that fun, so don't spend a lot of time there, right? So, uh, some smart person said, um, you can look up at God or you can look down at people, but you can't do both at the same time. So there is a place in the Psalms where it says, I lift my eyes up. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth, right? That, that, those are eyes that look up to the creator in humility and say, this is where my help comes from. I need you. Arrogance ha- is a picture of those eyes that look down on people. And we all know the feeling, both the, to, to receive the arrogant look, and let's be honest, we all know the feeling to give the arrogant look. Even if you don't do it with your eyes, in our hearts, to look at people, and basically we say, what a loser. Man, I thought I was in trouble, but Right? I mean, everyone has felt that at some time. It's, it's, comparison is the enemy right here. Comparison is such an enemy. Proverbs uh, speaks of those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Pride and arrogance compare and compete, and they're never content. Let's just talk for a minute about comparison. Comparison sucks. <laughs> Can I say that? I just did. Comparison is such the silent assassin of humility and such a, a, a militant uh, force uh, against contentment. Comparison, I just think the, the enemy loves to sow comparison in our, in our lives. And let, let's just do this. Let's just give it up. One, two. Who would like to give up comparison? Okay, it's unanimous. Let's pray. You just pray after me in your own heart. Lord, right now, I give up comparison. I, I give up looking at others and measuring myself against them. I lay it down before you, Lord. And I ask for grace, God, to see you and to see me in light of what you've done in and for me. And so I lay down comparison at the foot of the cross. And now just picture it. Just let the, let the blood of Jesus come down and wash comparison away. And if you can just picture yourself standing up uh, um, in confidence in who you are in Christ and walking through the world without the constant mirror of comparison.
What joy. Holy Spirit, will you do that work in us? I, I pray in the name of Jesus that the vineyard would be a church that has put down comparison and will never pick it up again. That we would walk in the light of the glory, Jesus, that you gave to us and recognize that the light of the glory of Jesus outshines everything. And there's no need to compare. In Jesus' name. That is worth the price of admission right there. If we could walk, if we would walk the rest of our lives without comparison, the glory of Jesus would shine through this place. Just think of the joy. Okay. I love your laugh. I'm not comparing myself. You can't. <laughs> I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's what David says. Let's talk a minute about ambition. Luke fourteen eight to 11, Jesus is uh, speaking and he tells a story. Starting in verse 7, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor, Near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Advice from Jesus. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. And then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he'll come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's advice from the King of Kings. And he's not just talking about a wedding feast. He's not just talking about the next party you go to or the, or the dinner that you're invited to. He's talking about uh, life in the world of humans. As you walk through life in the world of humans, don't look for the very be best place for yourself. As if a seat or a position or a title could bring you honor that doesn't come from God. Right? And Jesus just says, don't, don't do that. Not only is that a waste of time, but guess what? It ends poorly for you. Embarrassment is the actual word that Jesus uses. But oh, the glory when you're walking through life, minding your own humble business without comparison, eyes fixed on Jesus, full of the glory that he's given you. And the master in some way, shape or form, in some place in your life, in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your relationships says, you know what? You, I've got a special place for you. I want you to come up higher. When Jesus says, come up higher, you want to go up higher. When the king of kings says, I've got a special place for you, that's where you want to sit. And, and, and ambition is that, um, that evil scheme of the enemy that can masquerade in so many different forms in our lives, but really is the enemy of humility. And if you think about it, 
is the enemy of the kingdom of God in and of itself. The kingdom of God is upside down. Jesus said, you, you, um, you, you want to be first, be last. Who's the greatest? It's the servant of all. That's the kingdom that we live in, and that's the king that we serve. There's a difference between godly aspirations and selfish ambition. So it's gonna, I'm going to ask you to write these down. My notes will be on the website. Philippians 3, 10 to 12, godly aspirations. It's where Paul says, I go hard after that for which Jesus Christ came after me. Godly aspirations. Philippians 3, 10 to 12. So different from selfish ambition. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 and Galatians 5, 20. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 and Galatians 5, 20. Selfish ambition. In both cases in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about selfish ambition, it's always in a big list of nasty things that are worthy of people on their way to hell. He's all, that it, it's always in that list, selfish ambition. And this is essentially what it means in the New Testament. The word means canvassing for office. <laughs> Putting yourself forward or an unhealthy competition. And when Paul talks about it, he talks about it within the church. Okay, let the world deal with itself. We're not of the world. We're in it, but we get to live a different way. And so Paul says selfish ambition, canvassing for office, trying to put yourself forward, trying to be the the one, whatever the one is for you. Paul says don't have anything to do with it. I I don't want to see it in the church. In the New Testament, it's this agenda-oriented ambition that gives rise to factions in the church that is taking sides, division, and strife. And I I just feel like (laughs) I want to go, God, please don't let me do it, right? Don't let me have any part of selfish ambition. Anything that would say my way or the highway. And I, I say that as a leader in the church who's been given an awful lot of authority in this church. I say, I don't want to have that. that. That's not the vineyard that Jesus planted. The vineyard that Jesus planted, Jesus tends. And Jesus is king of kings over. Huge difference between uh, divine aspirations, those dreams that God has planted in our hearts that we know that we know that we know we couldn't do if we tried in our own strength and that we want to see happen for the glory of Jesus. Those don't all have to be within the church. Those might be great works out in the world. But the difference between divine aspirations and selfish ambition is where is the focus? It's who gets the glory. It's who is this for? Where does the power come from? Now, before you start looking around your your world and going, hmm, see a lot of selfish ambition out there. (laughs) The only thing worse than comparison is judgment. Judgment. (laughs) Comparison hurts us in our walk with God. Judgment kills community. Judgment kills community, spoken or unspoken. And I know I've been on both sides of it, right? I've done it, had it. Judgment kills community. So before we start looking out there for all those selfishly ambitious people, let's just say, Lord, I'm, let, search my heart. 
Is there any agenda in my heart that's not a heavenly agenda? Is there any ambition that's not an ambition, that, uh, an aspiration that comes from the spirit, aspiration, uh, uh, spirit-inspired, God-given, anointing, and, and, and pursuit? We, we don't want to have anything to do with it unless it comes from God and God alone. It's interesting that David says this. David was not a shy person, right? I don't have anything to do with things that are too great or marvelous for me. This guy killed a giant with a slingshot in front of everyone without any armor on, right? So we're not talking about, this isn't personality. We're not talking about just be meek and mild. No, this is David, king, prophet, priest, anointed by God, incredible power and authority. And David says, you know what, I don't have anything to do with a heart that's lifted up, arrogant eyes that makes me look down on others, comparison or judgment or selfish ambition. I don't want to have anything to do with it. God, you and you alone is David's mantra. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So we just, I mean, we don't talk a lot about weaning <laughs> these days, but it's out there, right? You've got to wean a child. A child is breastfed. There comes a time when the child can no longer get, just picture it, go crying and screaming to the breast of the mother, saying, feed me, feed me. A, a, a non-weaned child demands from the mother because there's this dependent relationship with the mother. And all the child can see is, satisfaction of my need right now, right? That's a non-weaned child. There's a time for that, for children and in our walk with God, when God just, you know, breastfeeds us. Yes, I'll care for you. Yes, I'll give you my DNA. Yes, I'll give you antibodies for the world. I mean, there's a lot of analogies there, right? But weaning is a sign of maturity. And there comes a time in the life of the child where the child no longer comes screaming to the mother, demanding satisfaction of my desire right now, but the, but the child is willing and able to just come to the, to the mother's breast and just be at peace there without demanding satisfaction of its needs. It's no longer there seeing the mother as a solution to its problem, but as, as a person, a personality, a relationship. The weaned child is able to rest in its mother's love, not just in provision. And, and you know, there, there comes a time and a time and a time again and again in our relationship with God that God will, will lead us to weaning. God is the father who cares and provides, but he's also the mother who knows that maturity requires a certain independence. The ability to feed oneself, to even go without for time, to develop patience, perspective. Um, I want to say this sensitively. I want to step on toes, but not where I don't have to. Um, I understand when people say, you know, I was a drunk, but now I got a new wine. And I was a drug addict, but now I got a high on Jesus. I understand the concept there, right? I was dependent upon something, and I'm now dependent upon Jesus. There's a, good, there's a good element to that, right? 
The scripture says, Galatians, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. There's a direct comparison. But I get a little concerned. No, I get really concerned when I hear people talk about Jesus as if he is the medicine and not the great physician. We just have to be careful, especially in a charismatic church, you know, where we're all about the filling of the spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit. I want it all. But I just never want to get to the point where we look to Jesus as a solution to our needs as opposed to a, the God to be related with, right? Jesus does not want to be a better high. If, if, we're, if we're living in dependence upon uh, spiritual experience in order to, to live our lives, we're still living in dependence on something other than God himself. Am I doing okay here? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It's, I know it's hard to make the distinction. I just, I just want us to be wary. I want us to go after God and everything that he has for us. I, I just don't want us to go after God as a thing. He's a person. He's a, he, he's, a, he's a being to be connected with. And sometimes that God who loves us so much says, you know what? That's not good for you right now. Right now you, learn, you need to learn to just calm yourself. Like a weaned child, not just get what you think you need, but just be close to me and let that be okay. Sometimes we've got to sit in our pain. Never alone. Don't wallow in our pain. But sometimes we just have to sit there and say, Jesus, this hurts. This hurts really bad because I'm not going to my normal medications. I'm not going to this, that, or whatever it is that you go to to get my soul fed. I'm coming to you, and God, I'm not coming to you just so you'll zap me and I'll feel better. A rush of Jesus, and I'm good. No, I'm coming to you because you've called me your own, and we're in relationship. And Jesus, you want to be with me in reality. You don't want to be for me an escape from reality. There's a huge difference there. And so that, that's, a, that's a hard warning, a hard word for us. And at the same time, we are a both-and church, right? Everything that God wants to give, we want. Every filling of the Spirit, every manifestation of the Spirit, every wave of joy, we want it, we want it, we want it, as God gives it in God's timing. I'll just, uh, I'll just close with this. Um, David speaks to his soul. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child is my soul within me like a like a um, like a child trusting its mother in the relationship of love but david specifically speaks to his own soul you know we can speak to our souls we can tell our souls what to do psalm 103 bless the lord o my soul and all that is within me you know you, you think of that as a worship psalm it's actually david talking to himself right We've got to talk to ourselves. If you talk to yourself, people will think you're crazy. I get it. If you don't talk to yourself, you will be crazy. We've got to talk to ourselves. Who, who has a soul that doesn't get agitated? Who's got a mind, will, and emotions that are just perfectly, in, in, you know, perfectly you know, stable all the way? Guess what? You're dead. Um, right? What's this? Flatline, right? We're not looking for that. 
We want to have the full range of emotions, but sometimes our souls, our minds, our wills, our emotions get agitated. And the, the example of David is, I calmed and quieted my soul. I spoke to my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Psalm 62, uh, be silent. My soul is silent before you. Be quiet, be silent, my soul, and wait for God. Psalm 42, my, my, uh, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. David, half the Psalms are David talking to himself for us on our behalf. Um, four or five years ago, Barry Tucker was our family pastor. Barry is like one of the more encouraging humans on the planet. All right. Hard to come away from an interaction with Barry and not be encouraged. You know, I just I, I just love him. We still get together because I need to be encouraged. Um, Barry had a dream, and I featured in the dream. Woo! So I don't know how many years ago, Barry had a dream, and I was lying in bed, and I was sick. And Jane was coming to my bed to care for me, to tend to me. And she was coming with a pill bottle. And, and it was a prescription bottle. And on the bottle, in his dream, he saw Isaiah thirty fifteen. That's what was on my pill bottle. Isaiah thirty fifteen. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Barry had no idea that, one, it was the first Bible verse that Jane, my wife, ever gave me before we were married. 34 years ago, before we were even dating, before she knew how much she loved me. <laughs> Jane wrote me a little card, and it was Isaiah thirty fifteen. And he, would, he, did, he had no idea about that. He had no idea that through the years at crucial parts of my life, usually in down times, the Lord would bring back Isaiah thirty fifteen: In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Guess, that, guess what? That's my prescription for health. When my soul gets agitated, I speak to my soul. Hey, soul, guess what? In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. My question to you is, what's your prescription for health? Do you need a little Psalm 103? you need a little Psalm 42? you need some Isaiah 61? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have a list of scriptures that you can pick from. I'll put it in my notes on the website, indievineyard.org. But, but you can go for your own. Maybe it already you know it. You know, you've been in a downtime, and the Lord speaks that same verse over and over and over again. You know it's of God because it brings rest to your soul. Jesus said, Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Let's stand. Lynn, do you want to come forward and... The Holy Spirit's present here because when uh, two or three people are gathered in the name of Jesus, he's there. Also helps that he's omnipresent. (laughs) So he's everywhere. So the Spirit of God is here. And and somewhere during this time of interacting with the Lord in worship, listening, the, the words from Sarah, the words from the scriptures, my words, 
was something that God brought back to your mind, that the Lord spoke to you. And I just I want us to take a couple of minutes without coming forward or any of that. Just take a couple of minutes. And let's go down the, the road of my particular prescription and help. Maybe there's something that you need to turn from in repentance and rest is your salvation. Maybe you just need to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I rest in you. I, I, I rest in your love for me. In quietness and trust is your strength. Maybe there's a place in your life where you are clamoring. And the Lord wants to say, just quiet and let me speak. In quietness and trust is your strength. There there may be an area in your life where you know that you know that you know you have not been trusting the Lord. Hear this now, not as a condemnation but as an invitation to put your hope in the Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way with us this morning. Every heart and every mind, every soul here in the church, every mind, every will, every bundle of emotion, We quiet our souls before you. And we put our trust in you. And we ask that you speak and you move. right now. Some of you right now, he's planting ideas and vision into you. And you know it's him. It's not selfish ambition. You know it's him. If that's you, just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus is teaching us right now. He is gentle and humble of heart. Receive the gentleness of Jesus. Receive the humble heart of Jesus.
thank you for such a revelation of your love for us this morning. Such a deposit of your Holy Spirit this morning. Such a stillness. someone you know that, that you know uh, would, would pray for you and let them pray for you. If you just want to be for a while here, you're welcome to stand, sit, kneel. Lynn will play for a while. We'll just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. They'll, uh, do we have prophetic art today? There'll be those who are uh, listening to the Lord at the art tables over here. you this morning with a quiet soul in Jesus name